Okay, welcome uh, once again to another Throttle Up Radio Show and Podcast, and I'm your host, Captain Kevin Smith, and I am glad to be here, and I am uh, joined every week uh, with my great audio engineer who keeps me on track and does all of the technical stuff that is way over my head. I can't, I can't even imagine... uh, me doing such a thing anyway so highly skilled uh is my audio engineer and uh we are in the midst of a special what is our what is our special edition we keep doing special editions uh this one is about is about time compression yeah okay time compression why are we doing it well, let me get to that, but first I have a few administrative things to talk about. We are a radio show on Red State Talk Radio, a weekend show, both channels, both days, and you can go to the 6 and 7 p.m. My audio engineer is telling me 6 and 7 p.m. We're also a podcast. Podcast is available on all podcast platforms that we are aware of. I think it's all of them, frankly. Uh, I just happen to be using uh, CastBox, uh, but I'm not promoting that necessarily. There's other great ones as well, uh, but that's the one I'm using right now uh, because I actually do listen to this podcast uh, uh, and the radio show if I can. I do listen to it just to you know get information and stuff and see how we can uh, further uh, improve the quality or whatever uh, is going on. We, we Continuous improvements is uh, kind of like what we try to do. Okay, so we're going to start off this show with a question from my great audio engineer. Uh, again, this uh, special edition, which follows the previous one, which Think Like a Fighter Pilot. Now it's uh, time compression. What does that mean, and why is that important? And we're going to get into that in a meaningful way. Uh, uh, There's lots of reasons for that. One of them is uh, very few people are talking about it. And uh, they also are not discussing uh, necessarily probably one of the most important things that we can do as human beings. We can move along the time horizon, which is uh, we also use a, a very technical term called temporal displacement. Did you know that? I'm talking to my audio engineer. You didn't know that. It sounds really imposing, doesn't it? Yes. But it's pretty important. I'm being a little bit silly here, but uh, but it is uh, vital. Uh, temporal displacement means that you can move, move your brain, your mind, your intellect uh, across the time horizon, uh, past, present, and future. We can actually do that. Uh, we do that mentally. We have powerful capability in the reasoning arena. Okay, so my audio engineer is going to read me this question, which we will use to kick off this show this week. There she is. Um, hello, Kevin, and hello to your listening audience. Well, you've actually already stolen the question, okay? Um, so decision-making under increased time compression. What does this mean, and why is this important? Okay, yes, uh, decision-making under increased time compression. So we have a, the, there's a, a particular uh, phenomena that occurs or a, a particular uh, aspect of, of an um, unusual area in which uh, some humans work in, but uh, we all need to understand what's going on there because it does apply across the board in any endeavor. But this was first discovered in the field of aviation in general, and particularly in the field of or in the world of the uh, modern uh, jet era, or another way of saying that is uh, the world of the fighter pilot. Uh, when the fighter pilot started flying um, high-velocity aircraft, which we call also supersonic airplanes, I was on the ground floor of the supersonic era, so I was one of those uh, individuals within that group. 
once we began to fly or operate in a battle space uh, in which uh, high velocity was the order of the day, we had to change the way we were uh, thinking. Right? So uh, new forms of thinking had to be uh, developed uh, from the ground up. A uh, normal way of thinking simply didn't work, uh, could not work. And so a new way of thinking had to be created, basically. And this thinking uh, had to enable one, or enable the performer, if you will, enable one to, to actually engage in decision-making in a way that is, that that was and is effective, effective decision-making under increased time compression. Okay. Now, why, why did we need to do that? Well, we had to be able to make decisions uh, in real time, right, in a highly dynamic environment. And we're talking about the decision to actually execute a maneuver often uh, involved uh, just matter of seconds. Uh, there wasn't a lot of time to think about it. We had to be able to uh, to uh, make the decision and execute a particular kind of maneuver in, the technical term is in real time, but, but in, a, in a very, very short period of time, a very narrow window. Uh, we're, we're looking at, uh, oh, anywhere from half a second to maybe five seconds, maximum perhaps 10 seconds, and that's about it, right? So we had to be able to assess the situation. We had to be able to, to uh, identify the, um, uh, the options, and uh, we had the, then to select the optimum maneuver from a set of possible maneuvers and then execute that particular maneuver and continue the, um, the process. And the process uh, is, is more of a circle uh, than linear. We continue that process as we go through the maneuver to see if, if we believe that the maneuver can be executed to completion or did we have to change the maneuver in midstream and do something else or do some kind of a modification to it and so forth and so on. And so it became, uh, became part of our world. And uh, the reason why I'm talking about it is because, uh, is because other uh, individuals, other communities that pick this up as a, as a good way for all of us to, uh, to engage the world. Uh, we can engage the world in in a better way if we understand how to make effective decisions under increased time compression. Now, the first, uh, probably the first person that identified this, this aspect of uh, human cognitive behavior was Colonel John Boyd. And he came up with what is uh, now called the OODA loop. Okay, uh, it's also called the OODA loop uh, for short, but it's O-O-D-A. The first O is observe. The second O is orient. The third O is decide. And the fourth O, for, uh, I'm sorry, the third letter is D, which is decide. And then the fourth letter is A, and that is act or take action. Also, we could think of it in terms of execute uh, the decision that we have made under the D category, which uh, which is short for decision. Okay, so that's where we are, and that's the kind of way that we're going to address this whole issue. Now, as we go through this uh, uh, this discussion today. Uh, and we go through this uh, thinking process and this thought experiment and all kinds of things that you want to consider in terms of of uh, how we can employ higher order reasoning and critical thinking 
and things like that, how that, how that comes into play, and how we can get better at it. Uh, should we get better? Yes, we should. We should always be striving to get better. It doesn't matter how old we are. We also we all, all, ought to, all of us, strive to get better in the way of thinking and reasoning. And so we're going to explore that in uh, some great details. Now, I want to start this show off with a uh, with an audio-video clip. Now, this clip, uh, what is it entitled? This is a new one. All right, uh, this, uh, this is actually a video clip, uh, and it's posted on our um, uh, YouTube channel, uh, Sonic Warrior uh, YouTube channel. The name of this uh, video is Interview with Top Gun pilot Captain Kevin Smith, U.S. Navy retired. All right, so that's this is a new, uh, it's a new video that is that is is now available on our uh, YouTube channel. It's the Sonic Warrior is the YouTube channel. You can find it um, anywhere. Uh, just go to YouTube and just type in Sonic Warrior, and um, you can um, you can find it there. Now, this is a, how long is that? It's about 50 minutes, isn't it? Yeah, so this is a, uh, this is a long interview. The uh, interview was conducted by one of the cinematographers that I work with, Robert John Hatfield is his name. And so he's, he's on the, the video as well. And so we're having this discussion in his studio. And uh, we're going to start this at partway through the video we're going to start this um, with a question that he is going to pose to me uh, and that's uh, about 34 minutes and 30 seconds into it so this so it, uh, this uh, talk has been going on for quite some time at, at some point in time we'll use other clips of this uh, particularly good uh, video in audio, we'll use some more audio clips uh, going forward in the in future shows. But let's go ahead and and play this now. This starts at uh, yeah. This is uh, uh, part way through. Yeah, that's yeah. So let's go ahead and play this clip now, and then I've got one more after this uh, to play, and then we'll we'll have a talk about about this stuff and what we're trying to address uh, in some meaningful way. So here goes. Nation, we have to make it work. It's really interesting because the, everything you just said right there, of course it applies to flight, it applies to everything that you went through, but it's like this broader application. And you even said it once, uh, it, knowing that we can do this, what can't we do? Yeah, and exactly right. Th there's this broader yeah. application to just humanity in general of of the being able to achieve and to reach and to and to stop and to not uh, give up on things to reach beyond what we think we can do yeah go way way beyond what we think we can do imagine that you know we can do that we have we have the ability we have the capability if only we believe it we talked about this recently, right? You know, if you can dream it, you can do it. But you have to believe you can do it, you see? We were not going, yeah, sure, there's always kinds of doubts. Anybody, you know, has that, right? But we work through those things, you know. And people, people would often say, you know, I would point out to them that the USS Intrepid, which is a museum in, in uh, New York City, uh, is an early version aircraft carrier that happens to be the first carrier that I landed on hmm. you know and they would ask me were you afraid well of course <laughs> <laughs> what do you think <laughs> you know yeah I was afraid first time you know a young student naval aviator fresh out of college and going through the Naval Air Academy yeah I was afraid yeah, but that didn't stop me. Yeah. You know, so there's something else working there. Yeah. Right? You know? 
And that's the big takeaway. You know, it doesn't matter what you're doing. Can you, if, if you can think of it, if you think it's a really great idea and it's going to benefit you and others, keep that in mind. It's going to benefit you and others. What we were doing was going to benefit us and others, right? Because it had national implications, mm -hmm. what we were doing, right? But it doesn't matter if you, if you think you can do it. If you, if you want to do it, then believe that you can, and then you can do it. It somehow, it gets a little bit metaphysical, uh, physical uh, in that, you know, in that explanation, and it's a little bit hard to explain it or even understand it. Uh, you know, but I often have thought of that. You know, if if there is something going on, maybe the maybe the human consciousness is more powerful than we think it is. Maybe that's it. Maybe that's the message. I'm not sure yet. You know, I'm mm -hmm. still working on that, and you know, maybe the people who read my book can contribute to that. You know, to that kind of awareness. But maybe there is something. I, I for for sure, there is something there. Exactly what it is, I'm not sure yet. And there's something, there's something deeply, and, and you've said this, you even hit on this as you were talking a few minutes ago, there's something deeply American about it, too. You know, because you, you kept saying not to take away from others, but there really was something about the United States, about this, there's a spirit, there's a thing that happens that, that made, made it happen this way. Yes, uh, uh, with, without question, um, you know, there, there is a, a, a very special quality, a very special characteristic to um, to the people that call America home. A very special thing occurs. I don't know what it is. It might be a combination of um, you know freedom, liberty. Um, it might be a, a combination of things like uh, one nation under God. I'm sure that has something to do with it as well. But we produce amazing people. And they are willing to step up when they need to come in and solve these problems. And they're willing to do it. Think about the courage to be able to lay everything on the line. Remember, when we were out there, we laid everything on the line, okay? And on a daily basis, and that included our lives. That was on the line, okay. And we did that. And the people that do this on a regular basis are are are. There's there's something special, and it shows it shows all of us that in each and every one of us, no matter what we are doing we have something special in us somewhere that this special quality and that it does come out when it needs to it always has right how did we win the battle of midway during world war 2 one person and it came out right uh, and we won it because of a, of a single person, uh, you know, did some um, extraordinary things, mm -hmm. you know, and we won it, right? And then, and then, and it goes on and on and on from there all the way up to the present time, you know. And how did we get? How did we get the ability? How did we develop the ability to fly supersonic airplanes off of small carriers? How did we do that? It was an incredible amount of effort, work, perseverance, and ingenuity, and innovation, and courage. And courage to be able to do such a thing. And we had to do it. Right? We knew we had to do it as a country. Um, and the Sonic Warrior is, you know, it, it's, it's a celebration of that aspect of humanity. It, it celebrates that. You know, we you know, we often hear all of this negativity about all of the problems that we 
as humans possess and all of the defects and you know what I'm talking about mm -hmm. you know I mean it's ongoing today you know like nothing that you've ever seen somehow uh, the human population and the and the people that occupy this country are defective in so many ways and you hear that all the time you get pretty tired of it after a while right <laughs> and I'm here to say I'm here to to say you know what that's all a bunch of rubbish because we're not we are not defective we are more powerful than you can possibly imagine that's what I'm here for is to say nope they're wrong okay and I have because of my background and what I have done I have the credibility to say that right up front right and I can say that without any equivocation without any hesitation I can say that we are more powerful than you can imagine and all you have to do is believe it and we can eradicate all of this stuff all of this negativity and get back to what we should be as humans working together that's the key how was I able to pull this off if you want to if you want a glimpse if you want a glimpse at my world, go aboard one of these aircraft carrier museums. And I want you to go to the flight deck. Okay, just go to the flight deck. And once you get to the flight deck, what I want you to do is I want you to just stop. Just stop. Don't walk. Just don't move. Okay. I want you to stop. And I want you to just imagine that everything that you see here on this flight deck is moving it's not stationary mm -hmm. right it's moving and there are human beings aboard each with a different colored shirt and they are all working together not in opposition to one another but they are working together to get these airplanes safely airborne and safely recovered. It is the most amazing thing you have ever seen in your life. And that's the microcosm of what I'm trying to explain here. And that microcosm can become what we are as a nation when we're all working together to make things happen. And there's nothing that can stop our progress then if we do that. Nothing. Right. And that's the message I want people to take away from this book, audio book, and film documentary that you and I are working on. I want, I want that message to come out loud and clear that, that the human is more powerful than he thinks he is all right and we're not going to put down the humans anymore we're going to elevate them and show that that they are capable of doing extraordinary things okay uh we've got one more um audio video uh to go in this uh, show this week we're going to play that pretty quick but i want to make a couple of points here Perhaps I should have mentioned it sooner, but it's okay. We're, we're going to mention it now, all right? So we, we talked about decision-making under increased time compression. That's kind of like our focus. But you notice that what I was talking about in this video interview that we just played, I was talking about uh, a, an aspect of decision-making and problem-solving that is often overlooked, and I have mentioned this before on my Substack articles that I write every week for Substack as well, which is before you actually get to a point in which you have to make a decision, uh, before you actually get there, right, you, you are, uh, and even before you enter the problem space, 
the problem space in military terms, it could be the battle space. In my world, it was the airborne battle space. But even before you enter the airborne battle space or the battle space or the problem space, if it's not a military operation, uh, you have to be able to to engage in or to perform what we call the entry protocol. You have to know what the entry protocol is. You just don't wander into this arena, this high-performance arena, this, this space uh, that is occupying your reality. Just don't wander in there aimlessly. You wander in there with... With, armed with something or other, armed with a bunch of things. And uh, one of the things that is almost always overlooked is, are you armed with an entry protocol? Do you actually know what the, what the optimum entry protocol is for the particular challenge that you face going into uh, this space? going into this battle space, do you have an entry protocol? And is it optimized for the particular challenges that you face? I'm repeating myself, but I think I need to do that. The entry protocol here, and which is, which is what I am discussing in this, in this interview that we just heard, the entry protocol is a belief. It is a understanding it is a uh, it is a confidence level uh, we go in there uh, with uh, with high confidence that that we should be there and that we can perform well under these challenging conditions within this space so we have confidence we have courage we also have skills. We are confident that we have the skills. We know how to apply these skills, and we have the courage to actually go in and do it. Even though the outcome is uncertain, we believe that we can be successful. If you don't believe, it ain't going to happen. That's one of the points that uh, that we make, and one of the things that fighter pilots know about, particularly the naval aviators, all right, naval aviators know this for sure. I've talked about this before, and uh, not just naval aviators, but certainly the group of people that I, uh, that uh, in which I come from, the community that I come out of, because I started out as a naval aviator, as a uh, young fighter pilot. We all know this, which is if you don't believe you can do it, you're not going to be able to do it. You have to actually believe you can, right, in all kinds of things involved in this highly dynamic, uncertain environment that we are in. We have to actually believe that we can do it. Uh, so that belief uh, is part of that strong belief, that, that confidence in oneself and and. Uh, also, the calling, all right? We are responding to a higher calling. That's what we're doing. In, in this particular case that we're talking about in this video, in the, in the case that I'm talking about here now, the higher call, calling uh, was and is national defense. So we're responding to a higher calling, and, uh, and because of that, we are uh, preparing ourselves to uh, go into this problem space or this battle space and be successful, to be able to achieve mission success. That is the key. We believe we can do it. Part of the reason why we believe we can do it is because we've taken the time to actually prepare ourselves. We have practiced. We have engaged in exercises that are mission realistic we've done all kinds of things we have lots and lots of time under our belt uh, in um, in this arena working within this uh, performance arena uh, for, for for 
fighter pilots like I was, we were operating at the high end of the conflict spectrum, which means that we were also operating at the high end of the performance spectrum. Okay, so the conflict and performance, we matched that, and we were able to perform uh, these rather difficult things in a, in a very professional and proficient way, and we got very, very good at it, uh, very good at what we were um, uh, uh, trying to do, what we were trained to do, and uh, and we were ultimately successful across the board. We happened to be the best in the world, by the way, uh, and that was that, that's something we all ought to be proud of, uh, not only the individuals, but also the community as well as the country. The country produced people that turned out to be the best in the world. Okay, We were the very best at what we did. Keep in mind that the United States of America is a maritime country. Okay, We exist because we have a strong maritime footprint. We, are, we have the strongest Navy in the world. We have the strongest Navy, most likely, that has ever existed in the world. Okay, and so we are, in fact, a maritime power. And in order to keep that going, we need the best and the brightest. We need the very best people out there at the tip of the spear. I was, um, I was proud uh, to have uh, joined that group as a member of Carrier Task Force 77 operating in the Pacific. I was squadron commander in that uh, task force uh, embarked aboard the USS Constellation. Okay, so the entry protocol. Entry protocol includes things like, do you believe in yourself? Do you have enough confidence to perform well in this complex, dynamic, and dangerous environment in which the national defense is on the line? Do you have that? And that was the big question that I had for myself. I had for my colleagues and, my, and the people I was responsible for. And it's, it's not unlike uh, the, the coach preparing the team to go out in uh, to go out to the ball field, uh, uh, football, uh, and I'm thinking of football, but not just just football. But I'm thinking of football. Uh, the team is about to go out and engage another team that is also uh, highly skilled uh, on the football field, and the coach is preparing the team mentally to go out there and perform to the best of their ability. And that preparation is what I call the entry protocol. Okay, without that kind of preparation, uh, your ability to perform is less than optimum. So if you want to achieve optimum performance, if you want to say, okay, I want to optimize my performance, the first order of business is to make sure before you enter the problem space or the battle space, uh, that you have clearly identified what the entry protocol is. Okay, that is almost always missed. And, uh, and so that's one of the things I want to bring to the table and one of the things I want to contribute uh, to, the, to the conversation about decision-making uh, is Make sure that you have uh, you have uh, identified what is the optimum entry protocol in which you need to uh, employ just prior to or as you are entering this particular space, problem space or battle space. Okay, let's do one more. Uh, audio clip and this is the what is it called the OODA loop a competitive decision-making tool now we are going to be talking about decision-making but I want to make sure that we don't just dive in here without making sure that we have uh, uh, that we recognize and we employ 
uh, our entry protocol so that we can uh, engage the problem in an optimum way. Okay, so here goes. Uh, we're going to do this again. I think we did it last week, but it's worth repeating because this is this is so important in the area of decision making under increased time compression that I I want to I want to do uh, more work in this area. So let's go ahead and play this uh, audio clip, and then we'll talk about it. How long is it? About. A little over five minutes, okay, and then we'll talk about it. Here it goes. A four-stage decision model, the OODA loop was initially developed to help fighter pilots win during air combat. The model was taught as part of a briefing titled, A Discourse on Winning and Losing. The main takeaway was that to win, to beat the competition, you want to find an advantage, to be faster to get inside or otherwise disrupt the enemy's loop. Over time, this decision model spread to other branches of the military and eventually application of the OODA loop made its way into first responder communities, sports, business, and other competitive fields. Going through each stage of the model, we start with Orient. While Orient is technically the second stage, when you understand Orient, then the other stages of the model fall into place. A passive interpretation of Orient is the direction you are facing. How you are currently oriented provides the window or frame you're able to look through. You cannot observe what is outside of your current orientation. A more active interpretation is to orient, to figure out where you are relative to some destination or goal. This is the equivalent of situational awareness or sense-making in that it is not only about direction but about how orientation heavily influences or limits what can be observed and how those observations might then be interpreted. In the broadest sense, the orient stage is your current worldview, your current assessment of the overall situation based on your beliefs, your values, your goals, as well as your prior experiences and knowledge. The importance then of orient cannot be overstated as to have a solid orientation is fundamental to winning. It is fundamental to survival. You don't want to find yourself out of position, lost, or worse yet, disoriented. In air combat, for instance, if you are not oriented correctly, then you are in no position to win. You can't shoot down the enemy. On the other hand, if you're in a positive orientation, then they are at a major disadvantage requiring that they spend energy and crucial seconds to try and reorient as to avoid being shot down. This same principle can be applied to other competitive fields. Having to retool your factory, for instance, to reposition your body, to develop a new marketing plan, or otherwise reorient to the competition or situation is most often costly in both time and resources. Moving to the first stage, observation is all about data. In air combat, prior to onboard radar and other electronic sensors, observation was primarily visual. It was a matter of scanning vast amounts of sky for black dots that then had to be rapidly interpreted as friend or foe, as relevant or irrelevant. To gain an advantage then is the ability to be first to observe, to connect the dots, to get more and better quality data that is timely. For example, illegal trading on stock exchanges Insider trading is all about access to relevant information before it goes public. This early advantage then influences later stages of the cycle, providing those engaged in this activity the ability to buy or sell a stock before the general public has access to this same information. The third stage of the OODA loop is to make a decision. This is running through available options and forming a mental simulation or hypothesis of how to best gain an advantage or achieve a win. Understandably, what options are available are based on the previous stages of observation and orientation. For example, having observed an enemy aircraft, a pilot must decide between alternatives such as climbing, diving, turning to meet the threat, or running away. The final stage of the OODA loop is to act, to execute on the decision you just made. This represents testing your hypothesis, 
testing the decision as to gain advantage or to win by altering the situation. Regardless of how successful, this action then takes you back to observation and the cycle starts over. Ultimately, the cycle continues until you observe having either won or lost. If you have defeated the competition or have been defeated, if you have shot down the enemy or have been shot down, it is over. The OODA loop is complete. Putting all four stages together, the OODA loop is yet another tool to consider adding to your decision-making tool belt. And as with any tool, you want to use the right tool for the job. With the OODA loop, it is a decision tool specifically designed to help you win in competitive environments, to help you come out on top, especially in situations where losing is not an option. Okay, uh, is that the end of the, uh, I think that's the end of the video clip, isn't it? It looks like it is, right? Yeah, okay. Okay, so the OODA loop, uh, again, uh, OODA, uh, Colonel John Boyd uh, and his um, uh, great contributions uh, to um all kinds of thinking, uh, strategic thinking, uh, military thinking, um, uh, decision-making, um, situation assessment, uh, you name it. Okay, now we are uh, focusing on the decision-making process. What What is it that we need to know about uh, decision-making under increased time compression uh, as we prepare ourselves to uh, to engage uh, militarily, it's engage the enemy uh, in a business environment. is is to engage the competition and uh, so forth and so on. As we prepare ourselves to engage, we have to make some decisions, and decisions are based upon our ability to observe and orient. You notice that in this audio clip, the orientation phase was particularly important, and that was also highly stressed by um, the originator of this, Colonel John Boyd. We can also say he invented it, certainly. Uh, the orientation phase was uh, particularly important, uh, and so once we once we go through that, and then we have to... Uh, we have to do make some decisions. The first, and and here I'm going to throw out something that's probably not going to be uh, particularly well understood initially, but I, I want you to th uh, think about it before you uh, uh, reject it out of hand. the The first decision that we have to make when we enter this highly dynamic environment, which we call the battle space. The first decision we have to make is we have got to decide to uh, avoid distractions. It's called, there's, there's a technical term for it, it's called distractions avoided. What does that mean? It means that we, we are gonna be bombarded with lots of stuff, okay? And we have to we have to narrow that down. We have to focus. We have to in, employ intense focus or intensive focus. We have to uh, focus on what is truly important. And there's going to be a lot of things that we uh, should not be paying attention to in the aviation community. It's called distractions avoided. Uh, that is a uh, that that's that's a key uh, thing that we all have to do when we are performing um, aviation duties. All right, and, and that's most important in the world of high velocity aerial combat, uh, sonic warfare. Uh, we have to we have to avoid distractions. Okay, and so uh, and that uh, sometimes and many times it takes a. Uh, uh, some kind of a affirmative action on our part to avoid distractions. We're just not going to go there. We're not even going to pay attention to that. That's not something that I can deal with at, at this particular time. 
I have more important things uh, in front of me that have to be dealt with, that kind of thing. So that is the first order decision uh, that that has to be made. And, and, and I'm going to back up a little bit because I, I, I don't want to neglect uh, the actual first decision. The first decision that we make is actually before we enter the battle space. The first decision we make is to bring out and to make available the entry protocol. And the entry protocol is fine-tuned for the particular uh, engagement that we have. In my world, it would be whether we're engaging uh, a maneuvering target or whether we are engaging a non-maneuvering target. All right, so that's the first order of business in my world, uh, world of a fighter pilot and a sonic warrior. Uh, that's the first order of business. All right. Once we, once we know that the uh, the target is going to be let's let's say for example, once we know the target is going to be a maneuvering target, then we can uh, uh, bring out and activate the entry protocol uh, that is used uh, or sh- or should be used uh, for. Uh, for the engagement of a maneuvering target. Now, here in business, you can sur- you can kind of see the same kind of thing. If we if we enter the the marketplace and we have a uh, a highly experienced and uh, uh, and professional uh, competitor, we have to be armed with certain things going into this competitive environment. Okay, that's fine. Uh, going back to the uh, air, air combat battle space, um, if it's a maneuvering target, then the the first order of business is for us to determine. I hear it's going to get a little bit technical, but stay stay with me. The first order of business, if it is in fact a maneuvering target, is what is the uh, the delta mock. Now that's a very technical term, so let me let me clear that up. It's it's really not hard to understand, but we like to use these acronyms and stuff like that. What does that mean? All right. So as we enter the airborne battle space, and we know or we suspect or we have a high probability that we are going to encounter a maneuvering target, we need to know what is the relationship in terms of velocity what is the velocity relationship is the target traveling at a higher velocity than we are if and and that's called the delta mach right so the delta mach is the difference it is the difference between uh the the mach number is the velocity right so it's the difference between the velocity of my aircraft and the velocity of the adversary's aircraft what is that difference if the difference turns out to be positive in other words i in my aircraft has a greater velocity than the adversary's aircraft that then uh that then engages a certain uh uh, that that that's the key uh, entry protocol decision. Okay, you see where I'm going with this thing. You see why I'm, the entry protocol is so important. If we get that wrong, uh, we are in a heap of trouble. Okay, if we get that wrong, we are not likely to win the conflict. To succeed in conflict, we're not likely to win. Uh, we are we are highly likely to lose uh, the battle okay so we've got to get that right if the entry protocol the entry protocol demands that we get that right if we don't know what is the uh, the velocity of the enemy target if we in fact actually don't know the velocity and but we have some reason to believe the velocity is high the first order of business is 
very likely to be not to engage. Okay, is and there's a term that we use as fighter pilots. It's called a blow through. All right, so we, so we if we decide not to engage. Uh, then we execute what we, what's called a blow through. We go into burner, and we stay. You know, we we stay stay level, or we descend in burner. We go as fast as we possibly can, and just blow right through the battle space. All right, just enter and exit the battle space just as fast as you possibly can. And the airplanes that I have flown, uh, that's a very very short period of time because they go so fast. All right, so the first order would be, or the 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 first order of business, or let's say the the thing that we decide to do is we're not going to engage the enemy because we don't know the velocity. Okay, so the first order of business we blow through. All right, uh, so what does that mean? Well, we've saved ourselves, you know, uh, uh, getting involved in something that could result in the loss of the airplane as well as the loss of the pilot, which is us, me, okay? And so, yeah, we're being a little bit conservative, but that's not bad in terms of um, smart, bringing your smarts to the battle space. That's pretty smart, okay? If we know what the velocity is of the enemy formation, then we look at our velocity and determine whether or not our velocity is greater. If our velocity is greater, then we uh, employ certain maneuvers. If our velocity is not greater than the enemy's velocity, then we employ different kinds of maneuvers. Okay, my audio engineer is giving me hand signals, and she's saying that I've got... Uh, just a few seconds to go. All right, so uh, I'm going to uh, close our thoughts for today. Uh, hopefully, we've made some sense, uh, covered a lot of ground uh, on this, uh, which I think is a pretty important subject. And that's another Throttle Up Radio Show and Podcast. Thank you for listening, and we will see you all next week.